Book One, Chapter Eight of Corporal Cameron of the Northwest Mounted Police, A Tale of the McLeod Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Corporal Cameron of the Northwest Mounted Police, Book One, Chapter Eight. Will he come back? It was the custom in Dr. Dunn's household that immediately after dinner his youngest son would spend half an hour in the study with his father. It was a time for confidences. During this half hour father and son met as nearly as possible on equal terms, discussing, as friends might, the events of the day or the plans for the morrow, schoolwork or athletics, the latest book or the newest joke, and sometimes the talk turned upon the reading at evening prayers. This night the story had been one of rare beauty and of absorbing interest, the story, viz., of that idyllic scene on the shore of Tiberius, where the erring disciple was fully restored to his place in the ranks of the faithful, as he had been restored some weeks before to his place in the confidence of his master. "'That was a fine story, Rob,' began Dr. Dunn. "'That it was,' said Rob gravely. "'It was fine for Peter to get back again.' just so replied his father you see when a man once turns his back on his best friend he is never right till he gets back again yes i know said rob gravely for a time he sat with a shadow of sadness and anxiety on his young face it is terrible he exclaimed terrible inquired the doctor oh yes you mean peter's fall yes that was a terrible thing to be untrue to our master and faithless to our best friend but he did not mean to dad said rob quickly as if springing to the fallen disciple's defence he forgot just for a moment and was awfully sorry afterwards yes truly said his father and that was the first step back for a few moments rob remained silent his face sad and troubled man it must be terrible at length he said more to himself than to his father the doctor looked closely at the little lad the eager sensitive face usually so radiant was now clouded and sad what is it rob is it something you can tell me asked his father in a tone of friendly kindness rob moved closer to him the father waited in silence he knew better than to force an unwilling confidence at length the lad with an obvious effort at self-command said it is tomorrow daddy that cameron that mr cameron is going away tomorrow so it is and you'll be very sorry rob but of course he will come back oh dad cried rob coming quite close to his father it isn't that it isn't that his father waited he did not understand his boy's trouble and so he wisely refrained from uttering word that might hinder rather than help at length with a sudden effort rob asked in a low hurried voice do you think dad he has got back got back said his father oh i see why my boy what do you know of it did you know there was a letter from a man named potts that completely clears your friend of all crime is there asked the boy quickly man that is fine but i always knew he could not do anything really bad 
I mean anything that the police could touch him for. But it is not that, Dad. I have heard Jack say he used to be different when he came down first, and now sometimes he— The lad's voice fell silent. He could not bring himself to accuse his hero of any evil. His father drew him close to his side. You mean that he has fallen into bad ways, drink, and things like that? The boy hung his head. He was keenly ashamed for his friend. After a few moments' silence, he said, And he is going away to Canada tomorrow. And I wonder, Dad, if he has got back. It would be terrible. Oh, Dad, all alone and away from— The boy's voice sank to a whisper, and a rush of tears filled his eyes. I see what you mean, my boy. You mean it would be terrible for him to be in that far land and away from that friend we know and love best. The lad looked at his father through his tears and nodded his head, and for some moments there was silence between them. If the truth must be told, Dr. Dunn felt himself keenly rebuked by his little son's words. Amid the multitude of his responsibilities, the responsibility for his son's best friend he had hardly realized. I am glad that you spoke of it, Rob. I am glad that you spoke of it. Something will be done. It is not, after all, in our hands. Still, we must stand ready to help. Good night, my boy. And remember, it is always good to hurry back to our best friend, if ever we get away from him. The boy put his arms around his father's neck and kissed him good night. Then, kissing him again, he whispered, Thank you, Daddy and from the relief in his tone the father recognized that upon him the lad had laid all the burden of his solicitude for his friend. Later in the evening, when his elder son came home, the father called him in and frankly gave him the substance of the conversation of the earlier part of the evening. Jack laughed, somewhat uneasily. Oh, Rob is an awfully religious little beggar. Painfully so, I think, sometimes. You know what I mean, sir, he added, noticing the look on his father's face. I am not sure that I do, Jack, said his father, but I want to tell you that as far as I am concerned, I felt distinctly rebuked at the little chap's anxiety for his friend in a matter of such vital import. His is a truly religious little soul, as you say, but I wonder if his type is not more nearly like the normal than is ours. Certainly, if reality, simplicity, sincerity are the qualities of true religious feeling, and these, I believe, are the qualities emphasized by the master himself, then it may indeed be that the boy's type is nearer the ideal than ours. At this point Mrs. Dunn entered the room. Anything private? she inquired with a bright smile at her husband. Not at all. Come in, said Dr. Dunn, and he proceeded to repeat the conversation with his younger son and his own recent comment thereupon. I am convinced, he added, that there is a profundity of meaning in those words whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of god as a little child he shall not enter therein that we have not yet fathomed i suspect wordsworth is not far astray when he suggests that with the passing years we grow away from the simplicity of our faith and the clearness of our vision there is no doubt that to rob jesus is as real as i am there is no doubt of that said his wife quickly not only as real but quite as dear indeed dearer i shall never forget the shock i received when i heard him one day as a wee wee boy classifying the objects of his affection 
I remember the ascending scale was, I love Jack and Daddy just the same, then Mother, then Jesus. It was always in the highest place, Jesus, and I believe that the scale is the same today, unless Jack, she added with a smile at her son, has moved to his mother's place. Not much fear of that, mother, said Jack, but I should not be surprised if you are quite right about the little chap. He is a queer little beggar. There you are again, Jack, said his father, and it is upon that point I was inclined to take issue with you when your mother entered. I think I shall leave you, said the mother. I am rather tired, and so I shall bid you good night. Yes, said the father, when they had seated themselves again. The very fact that to you, and to me for that matter, Rob's attitude of mind should seem peculiar raises the issue. What is the normal type of Christian faith? Is it not marked by the simplicity and completeness of the child's? And yet, sir, replied Jack, that simplicity and completeness is the result of inexperience. Surely the ideal faith is not that which ignores the facts and experiences of life. Not exactly, replied the father, yet I am not sure, but after all, the perfect love which casteth out fear is one which ignores the experiences of life, or rather classifies them in a larger category. That is, it refuses to be disturbed by life's experiences, because among those experiences there is a place for the enlarged horizon, the clearer vision. But I am not arguing about this matter. I rather wish to make a confession and enlist your aid. Frankly, the boy's words gave me an uneasy sense of failure in my duty to this young man or perhaps I should say my privilege. And really it is no wonder. Here is this little chap actually carrying every day a load of intense concern for our friend, as to whether, as he puts it himself, he has come back. And after all, Jack, I wonder if this should not have been more open upon our minds. The young man, I take it, since his mother's death, has little in his home life to inspire him with religious faith and feeling. If she had been alive, one would not feel the same responsibility. She was a singularly saintly woman. "'You are quite right, sir,' said Jack, quickly. "'And I suspect you rather mean that I am the one that should feel condemned.' "'Not at all. Not at all, Jack. I am thinking, as every man must, of my own responsibility, though. Doubtless you have yours as well. Of course I know quite well you have stuck by him splendidly in his fight for a clean and self-controlled life. But one wonders whether there is not something more.' There is, sir, replied his son quickly. There undoubtedly is, but though I have no hesitation in speaking to men down in the settlement about these things, you know still, somehow, to a man of your own class, and to a personal friend, one hesitates. One shrinks from what seems like assuming an attitude of superiority. I appreciate that, said his father, but yet one wonders to what extent this shrinking is due to a real sense of one's own imperfections, and to what extent it is due to an unwillingness to risk criticism, even from ourselves, in a loyal attempt to serve the master and his cause. And besides that, one wonders whether from any cause one should hesitate to do the truly kind and Christian thing to one's friend. I mean, you value your religion. Or, to put it personally, as Rob would, you would esteem as your chief possession your knowledge of the Christ as friend and saviour. Do not loyalty to him and friendship require that you share that possession with your dearest friend? I know what you mean, sir, said Jack, earnestly. I shall think it over. But don't you think a word from you, sir? His father looked at his son with a curious smile. 
oh i know what you are thinking said his son but i assure you it is not quite a case of funk do you know jack said his father earnestly we make our religion far too unreal a thing either of forms remote from life or a thing of individualistic emotion divorced from responsibility one thing history reveals that the early propagandum for the faith was entirely unprofessional it was from friend to friend from man to man it was horizontal rather than perpendicular well i shall think it over said jack do you know said his father that i have the feeling of having accepted from rob responsibility for our utmost endeavor to bring it about that as rob puts it somehow he shall get back it was a full twenty minutes before train time when rob torn with anxiety lest they should be late marched his brother on to the railway platform to wait for the camerons who were to arrive from the north up and down they paraded dunn turning over in his mind the conversation of the night before rob breaking away every three minutes to consult the clock and the booking clerk at the wicket will he come to us this afternoon jack do you think inquired the boy don't know he turned down a football lunch he has his sister and his father with him his sister could come with him argued the boy what about his father rob had been close enough to events to know that the captain constituted something of a difficulty in the situation well won't he have business to attend to his brother laughed good idea rob let us hope so at any rate we will do our best to get cameron and his sister to come to us we want them don't we we do that said the boy fervently only i am sure something will happen there he exclaimed a moment later in a tone of disappointment and disgust i just knew it there is miss brodie and someone else they will get after him i know so it is said dunn with a not altogether successful attempt at surprise ah you knew said rob reproachfully well i kind of thought she might turn up said his brother with an air of a convicted criminal you know she is quite a friend of cameron's but what is sir archibald here for they will just get him i know said rob gloomily as he followed his brother to meet miss brodie and her uncle we're here cried that young lady to join in the demonstration to the hero and my uncle being somewhat conscience-stricken over his tardy and unwilling acceptance of our superior judgment in the recent famous case has come to make such reparation as he can what a piece of impertinence don't listen to her sir cried sir archibald greeting dunn warmly and with the respect due an international captain the truth is i have a letter here for him to a business friend in montreal which may be of service of course i may say to you that i am more than delighted that this letter of potts has quite cleared the young man that he goes to the new country with reputation unstained i am greatly delighted greatly delighted and i wish the opportunity to say so indeed we are all delighted replied dunn cordially though of course i never could bring myself to believe him guilty of crime well on the strength of the judgment of yourself and i must confess of this young person here i made my decision well cried miss brodie i gave you my opinion because it was my opinion but i confess at times i had my own doubts here she paused abruptly arrested by the look on young rob's face it was a look of surprise grief and horror that is to say continued miss brodie hastily answering the look and recognizing that her high place in rob's regard was in peril the whole thing was a mystery was impossible to solve i mean 
she continued stumbling along his own attitude was so very uncertain and so unsatisfactory if he had only been able to say clearly i am not guilty it would have been different i mean of course i don't believe him guilty don't look at me like that rob i won't have it but was it not clever of that dear mr ray to extract that letter from the wretched pots there's the train cried dunn here rob you stay here with me where has the young rascal gone look oh look cried miss brodie clutching at dunn's arm her eyes wide with terror there before their horrified eyes was young rob hanging on to the window out of which his friend cameron was leaning and racing madly with the swiftly moving train in momentary danger of being dragged under its wheels with a cry dunn rushed forward merciful heavens cried miss brodie oh he is gone a porter standing with his back towards the racing boy had knocked his feet from under him but as he fell a strong hand grabbed him and dragged him to safety through the window pale and shaking the three friends waited for the car door to be opened and as rob issued in triumphant possession of his friend miss brodie rushed at him and seizing him in her strong grasp cried you heartless young rascal you nearly killed me not to speak of yourself here she continued throwing her arms about him and giving him a loud smack take that for your punishment do you hear you nearly killed me i had a vision of your mangled form ground up between the wheels and the platform hold on you can't get away from me i have a mind to give you another oh miss brodie please pleaded cameron coming forward to rob's rescue i assure you i was partly to blame it is only fair i should share his punishment indeed cried miss brodie the blood coming back into her cheeks that had been white enough a moment before if it were not for your size and your looks i should treat you exactly the same though not with the same intent as our friend mr ray would say you did that splendidly alas for my size groaned cameron he was in great spirits and alas for my ugly fizz who said ugly replied miss brodie but i won't rise to your bait may i introduce you to my uncle sir archibald brodie who has a little business with you ah mr cameron said that gentleman that was extremely well done indeed i can hardly get back my nerve might have been an ugly accident by the way sir taking cameron aside just a moment you are on your way to canada i have a letter which i thought might be of service to you it is to a business friend of mine a banker in montreal mr james ritchie you will find him a good man to know and i fancy glad to serve any uh, friend of mine on hearing sir archibald's name cameron's manner became distinctly haughty and he was on the point of declining the letter when sir archibald who was quick to observe his manner took him by the arm and led him somewhat further away now sir there is a little matter i wish to speak of if you will permit indeed i came specially to say how delighted i am that the uh, recent little unpleasantness had been removed of course you understand my responsibility to the bank rendered a certain course of action imperative however repugnant but believe me i am truly delighted to find that my decision to withdraw the uh, action has been entirely justified by events delighted sir delighted and much more since i have seen you before the overflowing kindliness of sir archibald's voice and manner 
Cameron's hauteur vanished like morning mist before the rising sun. I thank you, Sir Archibald, he said with dignity, not only for this letter, but especially for your good opinion. Very good, very good. The letter will, I hope, be useful, replied Sir Archibald. And as for my opinion, I am glad to find not only that it is well founded, but that it appears to be shared by most of this company here. Now we must get back to your party, but let me say again, I am truly glad to have come to know you. End of Book One Chapter 8